Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi. Theory. Welcome to High Theory. In this podcast, we get high on the substance of theory. I'm Sharonik Boshu. And I'm Kim Adams. We are two tired academics trying to save critique from itself. Today, we are talking about care ethics with Miral Visse and Inge von Nisselfoy. Welcome, guys. Can I ask you to introduce yourselves to our listeners before we get started? Sure. Thank you so much, Kimberly, for having us. My name is, the Dutch would say Meryl Visse, but most of my students here in the U.S. call me Meryl. Currently, I serve as the director of the Medical and Health Humanities Programme, at Drew University, and I'm also affiliated as an associate professor at the University of Humanistic Studies in the Netherlands, the Care Ethics Group, and that's where I know my colleague Inga from. And in my work, I contemplate and advocate care, the arts, aesthetics, and the humanities in general. Okay, my name is Inge van Nistelrooy. I'm an associate professor at the University of Humanistic Studies that Meryl already mentioned in Utrecht, the Netherlands at the Care Ethics Group, which as far as we know is the only care ethics group in the world that has an own master's program on care ethics and policy, which we're very proud of. And I have a wonderful group of colleagues, which I should mention also. And next to that, I'm an endowed professor in dialogical cell theory at the Radboud University in Nijmegen in the Netherlands. In my work, I'm always involved in care ethics and the insights into relational ontology, dialogues, practices, and also many of the philosophical questions that are related to especially maternity. So I'm involved in research into maternity practices, birth practices, healthcare practices related to motherhood from a feminist point of view. And you guys are experts on this, so tell us, what the heck is care ethics? It's actually nice that you mentioned that we are experts on this because in care ethics, we really believe that practitioners, people in everyday practices, mothers, fathers, children, everybody is an expert and has, we sometimes speak of experiential expertise, and we search for ways to connect that experiential expertise with care, but also with responsibilities, and what should we do for somebody, and we search for connections of what does it mean to live in everyday practices, and how can we connect those experiences with theory. So that's when theory comes into play. And Carlo Leggett, who is the chair of the Care Ethics Group in the Netherlands, and Inga and I wrote a paper 
where we argued that care ethics is an interdisciplinary field of inquiry and that inquiry is all about going to a hospital and then speaking with doctors and nurses and asking about their experiences and family members. What is it like to make difficult decisions on what is the right thing to do in very challenging situations? So that is what we as care ethicists are very curious about. And by looking at those experiences and learning from them, we develop the concepts of care and the practice of care further. So theory and practice inform one another. I don't have much to add because I totally agree with what you told, Meryl. I simply think that the one example that you mentioned, going to a hospital, can be broadened much further by looking in all kinds of care practices. So I think there are many, many informal ways in which we care for one another, in which we care for the environment, our own living space. And I also believe that, for instance, something like time needs to be considered because over time there are long-term relationships and commitments that you enter into and go about and sometimes also leave again. So I think time is also very much into play in care ethics. So it's not about deciding in a situation alone. There's much more to it. It can be a way of life in which you are caring for people or for other things that you are committed to. And you can change over time in those commitments. And things can go into the background of what you care for. And sometimes they are very prominently in the foreground. That's really interesting because I was thinking the care in care ethics was about health care. But what you're saying, Inga, is that it can be about caring for a wide range of things. Yes, absolutely. Many care ethicists like Maurice Hamilton, for instance, and Eva Federkete, they've expressed that care is essentially about our response to needs. And needs are much broader than healthcare needs or professionals responding to somebody with a health problem. Our response now to the change of the climate can also be something that care ethics can contribute to insight into how people are committed to that, how they respond and how people change with regard to that problem. So I think it's much broader than healthcare. Care ethicists who have a more political orientation, like Joan Tronto, who is very important to our field, she thinks about care ethics, or care actually, as a way to organize our society. She wrote a book, Caring Democracy. And other books, but her work puts care at the center of who we are as a society. And this summer, I was just telling Inga that I made a little road trip. And I stopped by one of the home base camp of the Pipeline 3 protesters. There are protesters who really want to stop the building and the renovation of this pipeline. And I saw care everywhere. And I thought, well, here care is practiced for the environment and for health, because... What if our water is polluted? And care is also practiced because of political reasons, because particular stakes are being advanced, whilst others are just ignored. What matters to the indigenous people and so on. So that to me was a beautiful example of how care comes into play. Well, a not healthcare context in particular. Yeah, and maybe that example can help lead us into our next question, which is how do I use care ethics? Oh, and the word use triggers a whole line of thought in me because in the medical and health humanities, you know, we are interested in the arts and we prefer not to use the arts in a utilitarian <laughs> way. And I, in care ethics, I don't know, maybe Inga knows that. I don't know if that is a particular argument that has been made in care, but I don't think we want to use care. I think we live 
care. We practice it. That's another word. But I think we live care and care is present. So it's really part of what John Tronto and Bernadine Fischer say. Our life-sustaining web, it holds us together. And it can also tear us apart, of course. It's not always nice and soft. It can also hurt. I wrote a book with Bob Stake where he wrote the lines, Care, here's the moan of indifference. And I just thought, wow, to me that captured what care is and how we can use care. Because as soon as we hear the moan of indifference, we know we have to act. We cannot just sit back and we cannot let things fall. So maybe care has a more generative force or pull can pull us well this is rather abstract (laughs) but of course we can use care to structure society and to design who is responsible for what in all kinds of settings so care ethics is a feminist ethics it has its roots in the second feminist wave in the 60s and 70s of the last century and what women did mainly was look at what women already did, so what they practiced. And here comes a difficult philosophical word. Epistemologically, care ethics is rooted in practices and says knowledge does not come from above and is used or applied top-down, but it emerges from the bottom-up. And when I co-authored a contribution to a journal with Joan Tronto, she also expressed this. Practices all the way up, she says. Of course, we also use theory in order to check what we see. But it's very important to see what people already do on a day-to-day basis. So practices all the way up tells us who we are, tells us a lot about our identity, about what we think morally, what is good to do, and what we know, how we can organize our lives and go further, and also about what relations are important for us, for instance. So it's practices all the way up. We don't use care ethics. Care ethics is a lens to look at what people are already doing. We also make a distinction between doing what's right and doing what's good. good. The good. The good. And for example, the events that unfolded because of the withdrawal from Afghanistan, (laughs) that may have been right, but was it also good? You probably saw those horrific images of people running with the planes and so why did we not anticipate that and how could we have responded to that in a better way from a stance of care that would be one of the questions what you brought up about the distinction between the good and the right those sound like ethics terms can you tell me a little bit more about the ethics part yes with this i referred to a long-standing debate or long going on debate on the justice and care debate it's called Maybe, Inge, we should share the example of Carol Gilligan. Carol Gilligan is one of the main authors who launched Care Ethics. And in her psychological research among young people concerning their moral development, she applied cases which were fictional. They were designed by Lawrence Kohlberg already. And in her research data, she had two young people aged 11 years, and they were called Amy and Jay. And the fictional dilemma that was presented to them was the Heinz dilemma, a very classical dilemma. Heinz has a wife who's very ill. There is a pharmacist who has a medicine available which could cure Heinz's wife, famously without a name, his wife was. But the pharmacist, he has a high price for this medicine and Heinz is unable to pay this price. 
And the question then posed is, should Heinz steal the drug from the pharmacist in order to save his wife's life? And then you have 11-year-old Jake in her book, and um, he makes it a sort of mathematical problem. And you, you can count what's more important. And he says, of course, a life is more important than a possession or than receiving money for a product that you have developed. And therefore, Heinz should steal the drug. And he answers all kinds of questions that are related to this dilemma. And he simply solves this dilemma. His peer, Amy, also 11 years old, she does not seem to solve this problem. She says, well, they should discuss this together. And I'm sure that if Heinz explains his problem to the pharmacist, the pharmacist will understand that he needs his drug. As long as they communicate, they will come up with some sort of solution. And other people perhaps can also help. And Heinz should not steal because then perhaps he should leave his wife and be thrown into jail. And so everything about her answer is about saving the relationships between Heinz and his wife and the pharmacist and creating a mutual understanding in relationships. And according to the researchers, she failed to solve this dilemma. Jake is abstracting from the context. Amy digs into the context and tries to come up with a solution in the context through communication and through maintaining the relationships between those involved. Amy is, of course, the icon of care ethics, and Jake could be the icon of classical ethics. So that's the distinction also between the right, which you can perhaps argue towards by abstracting from a context, and the good, which can only be understood when you're standing in a situation and are part of a relational network. How will care ethics save the world? It's all about care. <laughs> I, can't, I can't, cannot not think in care. I noticed the students who graduate, most of them tell us, I see the world in a different way now. I see it through the lens of care. So the world may be the same or similar, but we notice different things. And that's, I think, why... It may maybe not save the world. I prefer a more modest approach, but it may really create small changes. This French philosopher, François Julien, speaks of silent transformations. I love that idea of having small, silent transformations. And I think that care can do that. And if I may add something... Recently, Joan Tronto has changed her focus from care more to wealth. And she says many of our states are more caring about wealth, so it's more wealth care states, than that they care about needs. So it's about care, I think, but it's also about caring for needs. So if our politicians would care more for not for the economy and for giving companies all kinds of liberties, etc., but about needs and needs broadly understood, I think this would be the way to save our world. Our world is in need, so yes. it's about needs and care. Mm. That's really wonderful. Well, that sounds like a pretty good way to save the world. <laughs> I think so too. Let's do that. Yeah, let's do it. Thank you guys so much for coming and speaking with us about care ethics. Thank, thank you, you so very much, much for having us. And thank you for listening to High Theory. If you like our podcast, please review and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Patreon, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Sharonik Bosu manages our social media presence. Owen Quinn composes our theme music, and Kim Adams and Sharonik Bosu edit our audio. You can also find us at hightheory.net. We hope you have a highly theoretical day.